Welcome to Your Path to Real Wealth, where we explore how to cultivate real wealth, which is so much more than money. It's the sum quality of our values, relationships, health, sense of purpose, time, charitable giving, legacy, and more. Your path to real wealth begins now. Well, welcome to Your Path to Real Wealth. I'm Benjamin Cummings from Blue Barn Wealth, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeff Brimhall. Jeff, how are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you, Benjamin. Awesome. We love it. We've got another great guest with us today. Would you like to introduce our guest for us today, Jeff? Yep. Mark Widmer is our guest today, and he's I've been a, we've been friends for a long time, so I'm very excited to have him on here. And he also is an expert in his field of research, and I think he'll have a lot to offer and share with us about how we can live a more fulfilling life. So Mark, thank you for being on our show today. Yeah, it's great to be with you both. I'm going to give a brief background, Mark, of your bio, but I want you to expand on it a little bit later. But you're a professor at BYU. You teach a class in the Marriott School of Business and the MBA program, both executive MBA and regular MBA. More importantly, you have a beautiful wife named Susie, four amazing kids with spouses and 12 grandchildren. So I'm excited to hear about them. And of all the people I know, Mark is the one that is always outside doing something fun. Uh, two different times, I'm on a snow camp out with some youth from my church, and we're hiking up this mountain in American Fork Canyon, and this guy's coming down on his snow bike from completing a long ride on the snow bike, and it's been Mark both times. So he's always out, no matter when I go outside, he's always out there doing something fun. He loves to snow bike, mountain bike, fly fish, canyoneer, ride sailboats, and all sorts of fun things. So, and he... Blends all that into this class that he teaches at BYU. So we're excited to hear about it. Thanks, Jeff. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> well, maybe to start us off, Mark, maybe tell us about what classes you've taught at, at BYU and kind of what your current area of expertise is. Okay, Benjamin. So I started out in an area called therapeutic recreation, and I did research in wilderness and adventure therapy. So these are programs where kids who have behavioral and emotional problems will go out into the wilderness for eight weeks and either do primitive living or adventures and then receive therapy. And they also work with their families. The classes that I taught in that area had to do with evidence-based programming. So how do you design an experience to achieve an outcome, like promote identity development, help kids quit using drugs, help them gain greater confidence to perform in school. So that's generally what I taught and the research that I did. But about 14 years ago, two things happened. I was approached by a pharmaceutical company who had been looking at my research and they wanted to know if I could design a program on leading strategic change and teach their executives to be more resilient and to build culture. And then ironically, at the same time, my department was moved to the business school. And so Around that change came an opportunity for me to create and teach a class to help MBA students kind of look beyond making money and to understand really what leads to a good life. So let me provide a little context on that. Clayton Christensen, who passed away a couple of years ago, was a Harvard business professor, and he was ranked the number one most influential business person in the world a couple of times. He wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And he begins by talking about his experience at Harvard doing his MBA and all of these people that are extremely bright and talented who had really good networks who are on this path to happiness. And then he describes how 
at their five-year reunion, it was exciting that people were moving in their careers and having influence and over kind of dealing with challenges. But at 10 years, he saw how a number of them, their lives had really gone off the rails. And at 15 years, it was even worse. And he says something along the lines of, I know for certainty none of these people started out with a strategy to mess up their lives, yet that's in fact what they did. So the context of the class I currently teach for MBA students is that if Harvard MBAs can mess up their lives, so can we. And how do we learn about the research and theory and kind of base, best, best practices to build out a good life? That sounds great. I'm excited to learn more about this. And I, I understand with part of this, you also consult with businesses and families on these topics as well. Do you mind providing a little bit of context of what that looks like? Yeah. So our consulting, I have two partners who have a similar background to me. They had worked professionally as guides. One of them guided on all the big mountains in the world. And after that career, got a PhD and he and I did research together. The other one had been a backcountry guide and a whitewater rafting guide, and then got his PhD in organizational behavior and performance management. And so in general, what we were doing is working with companies. We've worked with Intel, Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, Hyundai Heavy Industries, a number of other companies, usually to help them identify areas that they need to build a better culture or increase performance. And then we custom design curriculum, usually using some sort of outdoor experience to help these people really engage in what we're teaching. And so we've done things in Spain and Turkey and around the world. It's been a lot of fun. So that's where it started. And then what happened is I was speaking to a group of donors at a university. And one of them came up afterwards because I was talking a little bit about youth and happiness. And he said, hey, I work with families, could you help me? And I thought it was like a nonprofit, but it turns out that he was working with high net worth families and was concerned about money and how you can raise responsible kids who become functioning adults in the context of wealth. And so we began another consulting area, which focuses on helping families identify their main values and then kind of their own human experience around that, the stories that support their beliefs and their values and their behaviors to help them build an intentional culture and teach that to their kids. And then we run programs with them to promote that culture, but also to teach the kids other skills that they can use. So that's kind of the family side of it. Very good. So both families or with companies, you're helping them establish the culture that they're really trying to develop, but being much more intentional about it. Yeah, exactly. Very good. So maybe focusing in on this class at BYU that you're teaching, this MBA class, as I understand, it's called Razor's Edge. You mind telling us kind of what this class is and, and what the main goal is? Yeah. So the goal, I'll begin with the goal. The goal is to help the students become more aware of their own motivations and why they're doing what they're doing. So for example, they might decide to buy a really expensive exotic car or to build a really big house in a high-end neighborhood. And so we want them to think about the decisions that they're making around money and materialism and other things that are traditionally associated with happiness and then learn about 
the principles in positive psychology and other areas of research that help us understand what truly leads to a good life and then intentionally design a good life. So we cover the PERMA model and positive psychology. And part of that is around meaning and relationships and achievement. And then we look at nature and the role of nature in building a good life and technology and the challenges and opportunities with technology and building a good life. And then anyway, we look at a, a number of other topics, um, theories like self-compassion and then essentialism from Greg McEwen. And then we also do a three-day wilderness experience where we wow. invite them. We don't force them to do it, but we invite them to disconnect from technology. And so, which can be really difficult, but we want them to become more aware of the burden they carry when they're connected to technology. And so we'll go and we have kind of content that we deliver. We do whitewater rafting. We teach them to mountain bike and we do canyoneering, which involves hiking down technical canyons and rappelling off crazy cliffs. And it's, it takes a little bit of time to describe Benjamin, but it's tied directly into the content of the class on a lot of levels. And we just did this with about 60 of our executives two weeks ago. And it's just a profound experience for many of them. And it's a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I bet. I bet. No, that's great. Mark, I know you can't teach us the whole course on this podcast. We don't have time for that, but maybe take, you mentioned several of the different topics that you cover from positive psychology to technology to other things. What are some of the key topics or content of the course that you think might be helpful to our listeners and maybe elaborate a little bit on them and how they're impactful for the students that you teach? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. And hey, if I can get... I can, I'm kind of into this and talk a lot about it. So if you want to interrupt at any time, just jump in there. I will. Great. So we begin by having them read a book by Edward D.C., a psychologist from Rochester University in New York, that talks about our motivations. And it looks at the research on motivation. And what we're trying to do is help them become more aware of the extrinsic motivations that they have. Often these are driven by insecurities that maybe that we feel inadequate or threatened as a leader or want to impress other people, either socially or at our work, and that those motivations can cause us to do things that really, one, don't lead to a good life and probably aren't actually aligned with our values. So, for example, when I talked earlier about getting an expensive car, in the book, The Psychology of Money, Hosel makes the point that he defines being rich as making a lot of money and being able to make payments on expensive things and look cool. And that wealth is unseen. That wealth is living in accordance with your values and then, and living well within your means, being a little bit of an essentialist. And what's a common theme here is that often people who live a rich lifestyle are driven by insecurities and a need. And the other side of that is pride and a need to kind of achieve something that really isn't of value to us. So an intrinsic motivation would be a desire to learn and grow or to serve other people or to be attached to a larger purpose in life. And so one of our first goals is to get the students thinking about their motivations and understand that often they are making choices without thinking about why they're doing what they're doing. So that's where we begin. 
Thank you. So I, I love the distinction between a rich lifestyle and wealth. Thank you for sharing that. that was, that's insightful. Yeah. And I just love the way Husul talks about it because I really think it's tied to characteristics. For example, in pot, so then we cover the PERMA model in positive psychology. And the P is positive emotion, which are character strengths like love of learning, curiosity, forgiveness, gratitude, humility. And for example, we'll, we spend quite a bit of time talking about humility, which another psychologist, Jane Tagney, describes as an awareness of and comfort with both your strengths and weaknesses. When we're not aware of or comfortable with these things, as a leader, you're threatened by the success of others. You might not hire people better than you. People who are humble are open-minded. They learn, they listen, and they celebrate the success of others and want to mentor other people. And being humble is a foundation for thriving in a great life. If you're a parent and you want to look cool, then you want your kids to play college and professional sports, which really isn't necessarily all it's made up to be. Or to become a doctor and or a dentist. And you, you might pressure kids in these areas. And I've been involved in research on coaching that shows pretty clearly that when we're focused on ego orientation or winning, it undermines kids' motivation and their experience in the sport. Parents who are intrinsically motivated allow their kids to choose activities like musical instruments they want to play or sports, and they support them, even supporting this in the context of helping the kids push through difficult times and develop grit. So other examples of the model that we teach is we spend time thinking about relationships in the context of in a family, when you're having a problem with a child or a spouse, we often see them as a problem that needs to be fixed. And it doesn't work that way. The only person that we can change is ourselves. And so we spend quite a bit of time understanding what that means, how we can move to a place where at greater peace and accept other people's agency and invite them to change. But the hardest part is recognizing that even when we invite them to change, they might not. And we have to allow them to make choices, at least when they're older. With the little kids, obviously, you're not going to do that. But this is profound for many of the students to start thinking about relationships differently and to become more aware of kind of their interactions with others and what they've been doing that might actually make the relationship worth worse. So there's a couple of principles around that, but that's what we do with relationships. And then we do a really deep experience in a, on our trip in the van where we help them learn to ask good questions to build connections. So we, we do relationships from a couple of perspectives. It's super fun. We talk about meaning and where meaning comes from. One of the key points around this is that the research from Emily Smith suggests, or the research that she reports, that people don't commit suicide because they're low on happiness. That what predicts suicide is a lack of meaning in someone's life. And this is something that's profound because most of us just think we want to be happy, which looks like having a lot of money, having pleasure, beauty, comfort. When we focus on, again, going back to motivation, these extrinsic motivations, the research says that we're likely to have higher levels of depression and anxiety. 
Yet when we move away from those and focus on things bigger than that, larger purposes, serving other people that we tend to have and personal growth that we tend to have better levels of mental health. Wow. That's interesting. Maybe talk for a minute about, you mentioned before, there's this connection with the outdoor experience and activity and this break from technology with all the content in the class. Maybe touch briefly on the connection between this outdoor experience and the content of the class. Yeah. So the connection is in about 10 different ways. So I'll hit a couple of them. One of them is that we tend to be disconnected from nature. Richard Louv in his book, The Last Child in the Woods, calls it nature deficit disorder. And he just talks about the trend away from spending time in nature and children spending time in nature because of a variety of things, fear of danger and discomfort and things like that. But the research is really clear that being in nature provides us with a number of psychological and physical benefits. And what we want to do is to take these people who've been really busy in their careers and in school and take them into nature in a way that has some structured time to help them connect, but also some unstructured time. And so we also invite them to disconnect from technology so that they can start to become more aware. It's basically a cleanse that they can become aware that when you get a text, when you get an email, when you're on social media and not getting enough likes or have FOMO, that those types of experiences with technology actually create an emotional burden, which is negative. And that being in nature and being disconnected can help you become more in tune and aware and conscious of your own experience. And we want them to, to value that enough that they'll continue to do it. How often do you recommend people go outside? And have like an, have like a, I mean, obviously we have to go outside every day, but have an outdoor experience going to the woods or the mountains or fishing or whatever. Yeah, that's a great question. So even looking through a window at green spaces has a positive benefit, but I, people really need to be outdoors every day, at least for a little bit, even if it's just a walk to be outside, but they ought to think about people ought to consider spending, you know, each week a substantial amount of time between one and three hours outside and then try and plan for every one to three months where you're spending multiple days. And for children, this is particularly important for kids to have free time and unstructured play is huge. It's my understanding that this is one of the most popular classes in the, in the MBA program. Is that true? And if so, why do you think that is? So I know that it's popular in the sense that students have to bid and they'll put all their points to get into my class and they don't all get in. Um, and it's popular because when students take the class, they, I think it really transforms the way that they think about their lives. It helps them become more aware of their motivations and it changes the choices that they make as they move forward. And then they talk to other students about it. And so they want to get into it. But let me just give you one example. So one of the principles that we talk about is that happiness, when you seek it, actually probably undermines your ability to be happy. We assume happiness is super important. It's only one facet of a good life. And typically, as I mentioned earlier, it's around pleasure and comfort and materialism, and, you know, things like that. And so when we have negative experiences, we often push those negative emotions away if we feel sad or frustrated. And what the research suggests 
is that limits are opportunity for growth and that a truly good life is one where you have a wide range of emotions. So when happiness occurs as a natural course of our life, it's a really good thing. But if all we're doing is focusing on like getting the newest car or the biggest house or eating the best food all of the time, we really don't face and overcome challenges. And so DC says that sadness that's felt when a loved one dies can actually be nourishing. So what I try to get the students to do is recognize that what they're seeking, because it's just what they've learned in the culture they've grown up in, to make a lot of money and to have like really cool things actually doesn't lead to a good life. That a great life is one where you face challenges and you have poise and you have character and grace and grow from difficult activities. I had a student named Dalton who at the end of the class came to me and he said, hey, you know, this has been transformative for me because I was just unhappy and I felt like I should be happy and I'm not. And I was super frustrated. And what I've learned is that my expectation about what my life experience should be was totally wrong. And once I realized that it was okay to have these negative emotions and even good to embrace them and allow myself to experience them, I just feel so much better. So that's an example of, I think that's the type of thing that they learn that they share with their friends that they find really profound. And that's why they take the class. So helpful. Thank you for sharing Dalton's story. It's great to hear individual stories. It helps to remember and it makes it personal. So thank you. You bet. You know, I wanted to ask Mark, uh, you mentioned that in these conversations in the van down on these trips, that you talk about ways to help build connections with others. Could you share some examples of what that looks like? Yeah. May I share a story that we share with the students? Please. A friend of mine, his name's Hal Gregerson, was a professor of strategy at Brigham Young University in the Marriott School. And I was in a different college, but I played basketball with faculty at lunch, which is a mess. It's all these people trying to relive glory days <laughs> they never had. So I kept getting hurt. And anyway, I would go into this locker room and I would see this guy. He was really tall. And, and it's in my nature. If there's you know just one or two people there, I would say hi. And so over a period of months, I'd always say hi, and he'd say hi back. And one day, now we're, we're in a locker room, right, taking showers, so just get that image. And one day I walk out of the building, and there's on the lawn, there's this guy with clothes on, and he points at me. I didn't quite recognize him because he was laying down and he had his clothes on. And he points at me, he says, I want to get to know you. And he and I became close friends. He's now at MIT in their business school running their leadership program. And what was interesting about it is, as I got to know him, He's just really bright and super fascinating. He helped me with some research that I was doing. He and I collaborated. And later, he had some challenges with his family that he needed help because he wasn't where, I where they lived. And I was there and able to help. And then later, he helped me in some consulting where I needed mentoring. And we didn't begin the relationship thinking, wow, we can network and like it's utilitarian where he can help me make money and you know, it was really about the richness of the relationship, but there were other opportunities that came out of it. And so one goal is to help students recognize that even if they're a little bit introverted, that reaching out and building relationships can enrich your life. And so the questions are designed to help them get to know people more deeply, to build high quality connections and to become vulnerable 
which can be extraordinarily powerful. And I mean, we've just had amazing experiences where people find connections that they didn't know that they had, and they're able to share things in their lives that are vulnerable, that bind them together in ways that would never happen. I, I just have to say, Benjamin, it's ironic because we spend a lot of money to take them to Moab to do these cool activities and eat good food and stay in a really nice lodge. A couple of years ago, the president of the class, Emily, when we were done said, hey, Mark, the favorite part, my favorite part of the activity was the van ride. And I'm thinking, man, we're wasting all this time and money going down the river and canyoneering and stalking. We should just rent vans and drive around for three hours and call it good. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. No, I love that. I love, I love how intentional you are of, of using that time as a chance to help build those connections. I think it's a, a great example of, of, yeah, how you do that. Thank you. You, know, you also mentioned the, the importance of building grit. Can you explain kind of what that looks like uh, and efforts that you can take to help build that grit? Yes. So Angela Duckworth wrote a book titled Grit, and most of this work came out of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. And in her work, what she found was that when people have a zeal and passion and perseverance in a task, that it becomes part of their character. It's very rewarding. It increases their quality of life. And one of the challenges that we have is that kids don't face challenges, not all kids, but many kids just don't have the challenge they used to. Video gaming is designed to create flow or optimal experiences or engagement. Uh, that's work done by the psychologist Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. They hire PhD researchers as consultants to figure out how to get kids addicted to these games. And they're fun. Kids can spend hours, even adults, obviously. You can lose your life to it, right? But it's not the same thing as going to soccer practice and running hard and, and feeling pain and having to learn plays or going backpacking for seven days in the wilderness or maybe sitting down and, you know, cleaning part of your house or mowing the lawn or building a boat with your parents out of wood over a period of months. And so when we think about, you know, how you help kids like build the characteristics they need to be responsible adults and to have a good life. Grit is a key component. It's really important because it will help them when they face adversity, move forward. And I love, there's some other work by a couple of other psychologists around a notion that we need to prepare our kids for the road, not the road for our kids. Mm. And to me, it's we've done a number of things to coddle our kids and essentially make them weaker when, in fact, we should be teaching them skills to function at a high level. And grit is one of those characteristics. It is similar to perseverance, not exactly the same or persistence. No, that's great. Great, great examples. Now, I'd love to know why this class is called the Razor's Edge. Yeah, so I... Uh, started it on my own and ended up team teaching this with another class. And one of my colleagues that we were doing these two classes together had seen a movie called The Razor's Edge about a guy who was a socialite, I think it was in the 1920s, had a lot of money, went to World War I and saw the horrors of war and came home and was disgusted by kind of the trivialness of the socialite life of happiness, where it was about 
wearing the cool clothes and saying the right things and being with the right people. And he left on this journey to really discover life. And the razor's edge is this principle that life is like a razor's edge, that choices that we make can take us in directions that we may not want to go. So that's how we got the name. That's great. Great, great analogy. So Mark, if you were to sum up what you have learned in teaching this class into a couple of things, what would they be? So I think that for us to become more aware of why we're doing what we're doing and to be honest about that and to try and do things that we're intrinsically motivated or things that are interjections that need to be done that we know need to be done even if we don't want to do them. And if we're extrinsically motivated to own it and to be real about that and then to understand that a good life isn't one where you just have pleasure and comfort, that a wide range of emotions is really what a good life is and that happiness, the way most people think about it, isn't really what makes a good life. And so to be able to move forward in your life and understand that you're going to have challenges and appreciate those and grow for them, grow from them is really important. Obviously the other components around building and maintaining good relationships and having a life of purpose and meaning intentionally is really important. And so I, those are a few of the key points for me and to not get too caught up in technology in ways that undermine our ability to be happy, but use technology in ways that can build a good life. Well, thank you, Mark. I, I've enjoyed so much the time I've spent with you and I've been on several of these adventures with you. I've been rappelling with you and mountain biking and I haven't been on a river yet. So we need to do that. And I haven't been snow biking yet, but I have been ice climbing with you. And every time I do something with you, it's an adventure and it's fun and it's meaningful. And I, I, I remember it. You took my kids one time down to Moab and I remember my son at the time, he, he's a senior in high school now, but I think he was 11 or 12 and he was so scared to rappel down that cliff. And he, he was crying and didn't want to do it. And you finally coached him down. And it was very meaningful to him. And he always looks back on that as kind of a key milestone in his life that he accomplished it. So thank you for the impact you've had on my life and my kid's life. You've been great. Well, thank you. I feel the same. I cannot believe I get to do what I do. I really am fortunate. Well, we're going to end with one question that we ask all of our guests on our show. And that is, what is real wealth to you? Okay, I love the question. Uh, for me, real wealth is building and intentionally living the life that you genuinely want. And that's around kind of being clear about what your values are. And for me, some of my priorities are my faith and my family and helping them, you know, build good lives. And there's no amount of money that could ever you know, compensate for failures or losses in that area. Well, thank you. Well, I've seen, you, I've met your family and your kids and I know the relationships you have with them. And I know that you live what you just described. So thank you for your time today on our show. And thank you for all the insights you've provided. I we would love to have you back sometime and go more into depth on some of these topics. I know you just scratched the surface on many of them and really appreciate you giving us a broad overview of what you teach in this class and the impact that you've been able to have on so many lives. And for those who have listened, thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and how you think about developing real wealth. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe or tell your friends. 
And if you have specific questions for us, please reach out. You can find us on bluebarnwealth.com. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Your Path to Real Wealth from Blue Barn Wealth. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends and click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and any guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Blue Barn Wealth. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for personalized investment advice. Because everyone's situation is unique, always seek the advice of a qualified financial professional with any questions you may have.